May I invite us, friends, to be thoughtful of thankfulness. Let's make this Thankful Thursday. Could I invite you to just begin thanking God right where you're sitting, beginning with thanking God for this place, this room where over the decades thousands of people have met with God. Then go on and let the Holy Spirit lead you in minutes of thankful praising God. Now let's conclude our prayer time by you just lifting up words, maybe one or two words. What are you most thankful for today? Can we hear them? Salvation. God's loving kindness. God's faithfulness. Again, please. The indwelling Holy Spirit. His word. Amen, brother. Your patience, O oh God, with us. Yes. Your mercy, O oh God. Your grace. And God, we thank you for the privilege of prayer that you actually invite us into your throne room. We have no right of entry there. But Jesus, you have paid for our entry with your blood, and we're so very, very thankful. Now, as we open your word together, Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you are the author of this book. And you will help us understand. You'll speak into our hearts and our minds in these next moments. Thank you for being with us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In your name, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I think we'll do that in each of our sessions as Brother Bert so wonderfully brings us into the throne room of God. I'm hearing a bit of an echo. Are you hearing a little bit of an echo, or is it just me? Okay. Then I think we'll just transition into a little time of prayer as we then open God's Word. So you can have your hearts just ready to pray as Brother Bert brings our worship time to a close. Uh, yesterday, uh, we began our journey by asking a, a pretty profound question. What is the foundation upon which you are building your life at this stage of life, realizing that there are going to be storms that are going to come into each of our lives. Uh, perhaps even this week, you're going to receive a phone call, and uh, it's not going to be good news. Maybe your doctor's going to call you, and you had some tests before you came, and your doctor now has the results and your doctor might say, you might want to sit down while we have this conversation. Maybe it's going to be from one of your children. I'm sorry, Mom or Dad, we've tried to make this marriage work. But we, it's just not working and we're, we're going to have to separate. Maybe it's going to be from one of your children saying to you, uh, Mom or Dad, um, we're really trying, but the world that we're raising your grandchildren in, your grandson now wants to be known instead of John as Jennifer. 
storms. And so last night we took a look together at three wonderful, powerful, foundational pillars. One, Jesus' words. Remember, he said, if you hear my words and you apply them, you'll be building a strong house on a strong foundation. The second, of course, that God himself is the author of truth and the definer of what is morally right and wrong. And the third, of course, the identity of Jesus Christ himself. And then I gave you some guardrails. Today, if you brought your notes with you, and if you're new with us, I have an extra copy or two of some notes. If you need one, just give me a wave, or if maybe you lost yours along the way. Uh, yes, sir, I see that hand. Would you pass it down the road there, dear brother? <clears throat> you're on the second page, session number two. And the question to th this morning is, who am I? Each of us can ask that question. And you see, I put next to that, what is my priority identity? Here's what I mean by that. Remember back to when you were a child, people might have forgotten your name, but you were known as the son or the daughter of your parents, right? Oh, you're so-and-so, son. <laughs> I had that incredible privilege. Not uh, I had it as a child, but I had it as a young adult when my wife and I felt the call of God to go back to the same country where I had grown up as a missionary kid. My parents had been missionaries there, and now I came back in my 30s, and when we arrived there, surely, oh, you're Lloyd Anderson's son? My father was a builder, and so they would say, you come to my church, your father built my church building, I want you to see it. And then some would say, you're Marion Anderson's son? My mother was a musician, much like Brother Bert, and she uh, played, uh, organ and piano and accordion and all those kinds of things. She didn't have a wonderful voice to sing, but she found others who loved to sing. And her role was teaching the pastors in Haiti how to take God's word and make songs. Because at that time, almost 70% of all the people could not read or write. So as a missionary, you're coming into their town, you could bring a hundred Bibles and they couldn't read them. But if you taught them songs of God's word, they'd remember that. And so pastors would say to me, your mother taught me, you come to my church and watch our people sing. They love to sing God's word in praise. It was a privilege to be known not as Pastor Doug Anderson. That didn't mean anything. You're the son of Lloyd and Marion. You remember those days when you were known, your identity was who you were by your parents. Then you grew up a little bit and you reached those teenage years and maybe you were known by those really dumb mistakes that you made or the stupid things you said or your hair all the way down here, guys. Remember your mother kept begging you, get a haircut, will you? Maybe you didn't live through those years. I, I did. And then you remember uh, you got into college, perhaps, and you were known as, oh, you're a student at that school. And then you got your first job, and pretty soon you began to define yourself by what your career was, remember? And then perhaps you were married, and fellas, maybe you were, oh, you're the lucky guy who got to marry her. And, and then along came your children, and pretty soon you were known as, oh, you're the parents of... Maybe it was the teachers. Remember those parent-teacher conference? Oh, I've been waiting to meet with you. Remember that? <laughs> and then, of course, uh, along the way, there were other ways that you and I were known, and then came those wonderful retirement years. And finally, you were not known by your career. You were known as formerly I was. <laughs> 
Maybe now you're known by the community in which you live, huh? A retirement community. Or maybe now you're known by your grandparents or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren. Maybe you've been known by the church that you were a part of along the way. That's why I used the phrase, now, what is your priority identity? Of all the ways that you've been known in your lifetime, I wonder what it is now. Is it that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God? Is it that you are a lover of worship? Is it that you are a lover of God's word? If Remember, Moses was known as a servant of God. Remember when God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people, let's move into the new land. Remember? So I wonder what your identity or what you would like your identity to be now. We're going to look at that today, what defines you. And we're also going to look at what are the voices that you listen to, and especially the most important voice. Mm. I'd like us to consider that for you and I, as followers of Jesus, we can celebrate that my identity is that I exist by God's desire and God's design. If you brought a pencil, circle those two words in my notes. God's desire and God's design. Do you see it there? It's in bold letters. Why is that important? If you grew up as a child and you occasionally heard somebody say to you, you know, you're a mistake, or you're an afterthought, or your parents really never intended, you ever hear that? I know several folks like that. It just rips you apart, doesn't it? There are no mistakes with God, are there? Amen? Do you like to say amen in the church that you attend? It's going to be permitted here, right, Brother Bert? Amen? <laughs> okay. You remember God said to the prophet Jeremiah, I have it there for you in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, what is it? I knew you. I knew you. Friends, hold on to that. You are alive today because God wants you to be alive today. Amen? He desires that you are, that you exist, that you be. That's why you came to be in the first place, and that's why you're still alive. Maybe you, like my 95-year-old dad, occasionally think, why am I still taking up space on this planet and breathing and eating? My goodness, I'm ready to go. About a year ago, I don't think my father would mind my telling you this, my dad was going through a, a season of that. I told you yesterday, my father is almost completely blind. Uh, he's had the privilege of being married to two dear women for 33 years each. <laughs> and you say, I don't have the energy to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but more than once, he said to me, Doug, I don't understand why I'm still alive. I can't do anything. My father was incredibly gifted with his hands. He had all kinds of woodworking tools. And my house in Florida has decorated with things that my father made with his own hands. But I remember the day he had to say, Doug, I, I, I can't see the end of my fingers. I can't see the tools. I have to give it up. And the day that he handed me the keys and said, Doug, I, I shouldn't be driving anymore. I can't see. Have you reached that point in your life where you begin to feel, God, why have you allowed me to still be here? There's nothing I can do of value. 
Of course, I love to tell my father, oh, dad, for as long as you're breathing, what you have up here in your head and what you have in your heart, I long to keep receiving from you because of the lessons you've learned in the journey of life. Please, Dad, keep teaching me and telling me. It's now been, oh, a couple of years ago, I suppose, Bert, that when Dad was visiting us in Florida, a thought came to me, and I sat down at my computer, and I said, Dad, just start, start telling me the stories. What stories? Well, I don't know. Think back to when you were a kid and tell me some stories that I don't know, and I started writing. I got about 30 pages of my father's stories in seasons of his life that I don't think anybody else in the family knows. But to watch my dad as he's telling those stories, of course, he kind of leans back with a big smile on his face. Sometimes it's, oh boy, that was a dumb moment in my life. But he loves to recount the faithfulness of God to his parents and his grandparents and in his life. You exist today. You're still breathing because God wants you to be here on this planet because of who you are and what God is doing in your life and how it can benefit those whose life you touch. You exist by God's desire and by God's design. You see, I have for you there Isaiah 44. This is what the Lord says, He who made you, He formed you in the womb. You are unique by God's design. Sometime in this month of September, uh, they can't tell us exactly when, the global population is going to click over to 8 billion living people. 8 billion of us, all alive at the same time. It's never happened before in human history. And there are no two exactly the same. Lots of twins, lots of what they call identical twins, but no two exactly. Now think about that. That as God was shaping and forming you in your mother's womb, he had a unique design for you. And we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. And I hope you'll celebrate that. Because by this time that we reach this point in our lives, when you look back too often, we remember the mistakes or wasted time or things we wish we could have done over again or differently. Uh, that's part of all of our journey. But my hope is these four days you celebrate that you exist now by God's desire. He wants you to be alive now because he loves you and because he wants to keep doing great things in your life and because he wants your life to be a living worship of him and that he wants to touch every person your life touches through you. He wants to touch them through you. Psalm 139, uh, Brother Bert led us there. If you've got your Bibles, please feel free to open there because we're just going to be in that chapter today. I'm going to refer to a couple of other verses, but Psalm 139 especially. Uh, verse 13 right now, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, as God... Uh, designed you he designed you to have three parts your body and he decided whether he wanted you to be a woman or a man <laughs> you didn't decide that and you can't change it you can have all kinds of surgeries and take all kinds of pills and do all kinds of things you can change your name you can insist that your teacher and your fellow students refer to you by a different name but it doesn't change the dna the chromosomes of who you are do you agree with that 
Now, there's another example why last night when we talked about who defines truth is so important. It's crazy what's happening in American schools these days where they're having to install gender-desired bathrooms. Uh, here's a bathroom that you can use whether you're a boy or a girl, whatever you feel today. That you can dress however you want to dress, and now they're passing laws, as you know, that it's against the law to refer to a person by their birth certificate name if they want to be known as a different gender and a different name. As you may know, there are now passports that are being used, and you don't have to declare whether you're a male or a female. You can be a, an it. A passport in the United States of America. Soon, birth certificates, the same, where the doctors do not have to identify whether you are a male or a female at birth. We've lost our minds. God designs because he desires us to exist body, soul, and spirit. Got your pencil? Jot down, if you would remember, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, right there. Because that Hebrews 4.12 says this, Your word is living and active, dividing soul and spirit. There's one of several verses in the Bible that tells us we are body, soul, and spirit. What is soul? Well, I understand soul to be my intellect, my mind, my ability to think and reason. It's my emotions, my heart, my feelings, love. It's my will, my ability to make choices. It's my God-given personality. All of that lives immortally. God made that to live forever. My spirit is that part of me that has the opportunity and the, the ability to have a relationship with God. When I'm born again, I'm given a new spiritual nature. And when I die, what happens? My body stays here and begins to decay immediately. But my soul and my spirit go to be, if I've trusted Jesus to be my Savior, with Jesus forever. Amen? And then, of course, I'll receive a new heavenly glorified body at the appropriate time where the Lord Jesus returns to gather up those who are still alive, and he brings with him the souls and the spirits of those who are with him, and we receive our new glorified heavenly bodies. Ephesians uh, chapter 1, I put there for you, verse 4. He, God the Father, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. So what I'm saying there is, first of all, God desired you to be. In his mind came this idea from the beginning of time of you. And then he shaped and formed you according to his desire and design for you. And his longing is that you would be, you would exist for his praise and his glory. And how do we do that? Well, one of the ways is we come to trust Jesus Christ to be our Savior, and he does his redeeming, transforming work in us. Another is his Holy Spirit does his sanctifying work in us, making us more and more to be in his image and for his glory. And then, of course, it's living every day, isn't it? Making the choices that honor him. So you and I, regardless of our age... <laughs> We have no right to say, I don't know why I'm still alive. My goodness, I'm just taking up space and breathing air other people could breathe and eating food other people could eat. No, no, you exist by God's desire and God's design. And so celebrate it and use every day to the fullest until he chooses to call you home. Amen? Amen? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
So when your great-grandkids say to you, hurry up and die so I can have the inheritance, no, no, I'm still alive for a good reason. I have important things to teach you. The wisdom I've learned in life, let's look at the second thing. You and I live fully known, understood, and sustained by God. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. There it is, right there. You know, O God, when I sit down and when I rise up. You even perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O God. Wow! Is there anything that God doesn't know about you? <laughs> Past, present, or future? No. Is there anything God doesn't know or understand about our world? <laughs> uh, college football season has just begun, and I admit I enjoy watching that a little bit, and there was a new commercial I saw this past weekend. One of the older famous college football coaches who is especially famous in Florida is named Steve Spurrier. Anybody know that name? A couple of you. He's called the old ball coach. And he won the national championship when he was at uh, Florida. So here's a commercial with the old, the old football coach. He's got to be in his, oh my, early 80s, I would guess. And there's a telephone, uh, the kind of telephones that we remember, uh, with a cord, you know, that's attached, and it's sitting on a table, and there's two Heisman Trophy winner guys, college guys, probably in their middle 20s, and the phone is ringing, and they're both looking at it. And coach says, pick it up. And they look at each other, so one of them reaches down and picks up the whole thing like this. And he says, I don't like this, whatever it is, and he puts it back down. <laughs> wow. Yet, time changes, doesn't it? <laughs> Do you ever wonder, does God understand all this technology stuff and QR codes and what your phone can do that you and I can't understand? Yes, yes. There is nothing that we, the human race, will ever imagine that God doesn't fully understand. In fact, I've often wondered how much fun it must be for God when we finally discover something that he's known for such a long time. <laughs> Let's keep reading verse 5. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, O God, too lofty for me to attain. So the next time your telephone rings and it's bad news, God knows. God understands. Far more than the doctor or whoever it is that's calling you understands, right? So the safest place for you to go and the best thing for you to do with that bad news is do what we did a few minutes ago, go into the throne room and meet with the great I am. And lay it before him and say, God, I'm sure glad you understand it. Help me. Help me deal with whatever this is. And there really is a peace that passes all understanding in that throne room with God. Do you agree with that? Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. I know we have several folks here who have followed God's call to be missionaries. Could I just see your hands? If you've lived some time in a foreign country, just lift it up there high. Let's praise God for these dear friends. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. So when I first met my dear wife, it was her first day at Trinity College in Deerfield as a freshman at orientation, and it was my first day in my sophomore year, and I was there for soccer practice. And we, at the end of that first full day, uh, we ended up about the same time in the cafeteria with our cafeteria trays looking for a place to sit, and we sat at the table together. We'd never seen each other. I said, hi, I'm Doug. Who are you? I'm Dawn. Hi, Dawn. Where are you from? Brookfield, Illinois. Oh, that's nice. Where else? What, what do you mean, where else? Well, where else have you lived? Nowhere else. Your parents brought you home from the hospital to the very house that you left to come to college 18 years later? Well, yeah. What about you? <laughs> well, I was born in Wisconsin, and my parents took me to Haiti to be a kid as, as a missionary kid, and then we lived in... Um, and she reached for her tray. I said, it's okay. It's not contagious. Well, something started to flicker that very day, and by the end of the week, we were already dating, and I knew all the upperclassmen were coming back, and so I said, Don, could we have a little agreement that there's something happening here? Give me a little chance before all these big upperclassmen guys get back, and we never dated anybody else. Got married the day after I graduated, and uh, I hadn't sensed any call of God in my life for ministry, so I went into business the day after I graduated, and she had always wanted to be a teacher, and she was. And uh, 12 years later, we began to get that very strong call of God. Early on in our married life, we had a little discussion about these verses. <laughs> Are we going to be one of those families that puts down deep roots in the same, like she said, like my family did? Or are we going to be a vagabond family like your family was? <laughs> I said, sweetheart, how about if we agree to do this? God, here's our lives. Since you made us and you know us better than we do and you can see the whole world and you know the future much better, how about if we trust you? She said, oh, oh. Your parents did that, didn't they? Yeah, oh. But we did. And so we've lived in three countries and seven or eight states, and uh, we moved to Florida six years ago. And she says to me, could we burn the boxes? Because <laughs> we had always just folded up the boxes and put them up in the attic because we knew, very likely, it wouldn't be very long. We burned the boxes. Maybe because you can buy boxes. <laughs> Uh, we, we believe that's where God has us now. Have you lived your life as your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids talk with you about, wow, I just got a new job offer and they're going to double my salary, but I have to move to... What do you ask them? Do you ask them, have you talked to God about that yet? What's Jesus saying to you about that job? Wow, wherever you and I go, God is there. And would you agree it's a wonderful thing to live your life following Jesus, step by step as he leads you? Can you imagine how much 
may I say it, fun it is for God to know that he has a need over here. And so 2 Chronicles 16.9 tell us, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to find those who he can strengthen because their hearts are fully committed to him. It's happened to us. Doug and Dawn, are you paying attention? I need you to pack up because I need you here. And when we're confident it's God speaking to us, we'd start packing. <laughs> we came back from Haiti and served uh, on the leadership team of the mission that we served with in Haiti. Their headquarters were in Philadelphia. And then one of our supporting churches in northern New Jersey went through a terrible split and called us and said, would you please come to be our pastor? We don't need you to teach deep, teach deep theology. Just love us and clean up all the blood that splattered all over the place. And we did and had a wonderful six years with them. And it gets a little chilly in New Jersey. Not, not real cold, but chillier than Haiti. And uh, so pretty soon here comes some letters. One from Fargo, North Dakota. Would you consider coming to our church? And I just put it in my briefcase. And my dear Dawn said to me a couple weeks later, so what did the people in Fargo say when you wrote them? I said, oh, I didn't write the people in Fargo. Oh, sweetheart, that must have been a terrible mistake. God would never lead us to Fargo. It's cold there. We had eight wonderful years in Fargo, North Dakota. We really did. Grew to love those people very much, and somehow God enabled us to survive those nine-month winters. You know how you know when it's cold? If you spit and it shatters when it hits the sidewalk. Really, really. Or you take black hot coffee and you throw it up and it's brown snow. Now it's cold. The longest stretch we had was 29 days below zero, day and night. Never got above. The high today is going to be minus four. And then you add the wind chill to that. Oh, my. But do you know, when you're living those verses, Fargo can be a wonderful place for people who like it warm. <laughs> yeah. Verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God already knows all the rest of the story of your life? Mm. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Mm. Mm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Verse 23, and test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And in my notes there, I asked an important question for us to contemplate. Are we accountable only if we say it or do it? Or are we accountable for what we've been thinking, even if we never said it? Or what we've been planning, even if we never did it? God knows it all, doesn't he? You know why that's so important? Because, my dear friends, there's an awful lot of wonderful Christian people who really do believe as long as it never leaves my mind, it's not a problem. It's when I actually speak it or actually do it, now it becomes a problem. Nay, nay. God is watching carefully to see what you and I allow to fertilize in our minds. 
That's part of why pornography is such a terrible, demonic addiction. Because it plays up here in the mind and leads men and women away from living God-honoring lives. Even if they never act on it, it destroys the purity of their minds. Would you consider with me, my friends, that you, yes, I mentioned it before, are unique among 8 billion people, and I've listed for you here six reasons why you're unique, and if you get your pencil, I'm going to give you a seventh one. Uh, for the folks who were with me in any of the three churches we've served, like here, I had to get the outlines ready for printing well before we came to the Sunday morning, and yet I would keep studying and praying and reading, and so I would say to the people, bring your pen, there's fresh beans to put in the soup. And so I have a fresh bean for you this morning. First, you are unique because of your family. The family you grew up in, while you may have siblings, what God did with you and your family is unique. You remember when the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, I see in you sincere faith, which I also saw in your mother and your grandmother. Amen? I wonder what those attributes are that are unique in you because of the family you grew up in. You're unique because of the personality that God chose and gave to you before you were born. You remember Barnabas. What was his other name? The son of encouragement. It's his personality. He just flowed out encouragement to people. How about Martha? What was her personality? What do you think? Remember? Servant. Busy lady. Working. Helping other people. Yes. <laughs> How about John? Remember John? Five times in the Gospel of John, he's not referred to by his name. Of course, he wrote it. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He had this very special relationship with Jesus. Your personality. Do you celebrate the personality that God gave you? Don't you celebrate Niall Bergie sitting over here? There's a servant. Would you agree? There's an encourager, would you agree? And at his side, dear Sinova, who always has a smile and the gift of hospitality, my goodness, if you live within 100 miles of them, you've probably been in their home, right? <laughs> Do you thank God for what he has been doing in you to combine who you are because of the family you grew up in and who you are because of the personality that he's given you and next, who you are because of your God-given passions, those are the things that in your mind and heart really keep you awake at night, especially when you were younger, uh, that you were wanting to accomplish, but they were only accomplishable if God empowered you to do them. Ask any missionary who's left home and family and gone overseas and learned another language and lived in another culture. It was a God-given passion that they just had to do, and God empowered them to do. Do you see letter D there? How about your life scars? What I mean by that, my friends, is those heartbreaking, disappointing situations that happened in your life. Traumas, tragedies. Remember Joseph sold by his brothers? Uh, Thirteen years from the time that he was hauled up out of that pit and sold as a slave till finally he had the chance to interpret Pharaoh's dream and he was made prime minister. Thirteen years! It seemed to me that was plenty of time for his heart to turn really bitter and resentful and anger and for him to make a wonderful plan in his mind if I ever get the chance, so here's what I'm going to do to my brothers. But then, of course, comes that day when they stand before him and they don't have any idea who he is and he's speaking a different language to his attendant. And he looks at them and he recognizes them immediately. 
In that moment, we get a glimpse into his heart. And there's no evidence of resentment and bitterness and anger. But rather, do you remember what he says? What you intended for evil, God intended for good. And he sent me ahead of you to spare your lives. Go home and get daddy and bring him down. And you settle here in the best of the land. Are you able to look back at the scars, the tragedies in your life to say, I see now how God has used them in my life to help develop and shape me to be the man or the woman that he wanted me to be for his glory. Here's part of why that's so important. Your kids and your grandkids are going to experience trauma and tragedy and difficult things. But they're growing up in an instant gratification world where they'll whip out their cell phone and they'll hit the speed dial of somebody who's going to come and fix their problem in five minutes. And you and I have the opportunity to say, no, no. God has allowed that for a reason. Let God grow you through the painful situation. Would you agree with that? That's some of that wisdom that you have, my dear friends. You are uniquely who you are in part because of the scars, the tragedies, the painful experiences. And then, of course, you are uniquely who you are because God has uniquely given you spiritual gifts. By the power of his Holy Spirit, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Savior and you're born again, that fit with all those other things so that you can be for the praise of his glory and for the good and the growth of the world around you, the church and the world around you. Now here's the seventh one. You got your pencil ready? Your unique relationship with God. No two of us has exactly the same relationship with God. Oh yes, if you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, my Heavenly Father is your Heavenly Father. Yep, I get that. But if you've got siblings, you understand there's a little difference when there's two brothers in the relationship they each have with Dad. You have a unique relationship with Almighty God, your Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Yes, mine too. Wonderful. But he is the head of the church, the global church, and he's constantly working his plans and his purposes. And how you fit into that is unique to you. And the Holy Spirit of God is doing his wonderful transforming work in each of us, refining us and developing us and teaching us and counseling us uniquely each of us. So your unique relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is unique to you. And combined with all these other things helps you understand why you are so unique in the world. And maybe why you're still here. <laughs> because of what you can bring to our world. So the last thing I'd like us to consider together. Uh, you might have noticed, my friends, because I refer so often to our kids, our descendants, nieces, nephews, kids, grandkids. The picture I have in my mind for this week, in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, we have the picture of a water well and people coming to the well and they're drawing up the water for themselves and their animals and then usually they fill up their pitchers and take their water back to their homes. That's the idea for us. We come here this week, we're, we're refreshing in our time with Jesus as he draws us close to himself, as he speaks to us, as he stretches our minds and nurtures our hearts. But then as we fill up, we take it back with us and we then spill it out to those whose lives we're going to touch. And so. Maybe you've noticed that uh, you and I by now have learned how to just 
turn off a lot of the noise in our world. But for the generations that follow us, it's hard for them to spend five minutes without noise. Have you noticed that? And they actually are receiving thousands, millions of words every day, most of which is not true, most of which is not helpful to them in becoming godly men and women, most of which is actually drawing them away from God and into the darkness. And so the last part of the message this morning challenges us to consider what voices am I listening to and what voices am I rejecting? Solomon writes in Proverbs 1, Listen, my son, to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. You see, I have written there, lifelong coaching. That is your privilege and mine. As long as you're still breathing and you still have a mind that can think, you are a coach to your descendants. And you need to be, and they need you to be, and God wants you to keep passing on the wisdom. But also the warnings. Look at letter B and C, the two warnings. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. Do not go along with them. Do not sit foot on their path, for their feet rush into sin. And I've written next to that, do you see it? There is power in the word no. Letter C, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. You remember back the peer pressure when you were a young person? We understand that. But are you and I doing a good job of teaching our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews, the power in the word no? Are we teaching them that there needs to be something called non-negotiables in their life? I will not cross that line. For the sake of my integrity, for the sake of my reputation, for the sake of my marriage, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my relationship with God, I will not. No, no. Pressure me if you must. Persecute me if you will. No. I love to travel, especially to visit missionaries around the world. And for some years, what I've heard as I travel, and I speak especially to national Christians, and I ask them, what do you see that's happening in the world? Very often they say, I fear for the American church. Why? We've got some of the best trained pastors in the world. We've got mountains of resources of all kinds that are available, print and media and, and digital why do you fear for the American church? We've got big buildings, we've got big budgets, got everything. You're weak. You've never experienced persecution at knife point or gun point. And my fear is, and I've heard it a hundred times all across the world, when the persecution comes, not if, when the persecution comes, whew, they'll run out of the church. They'll deny that they were ever a member of that church. They'll deny Jesus. Wow! Do not go along with the crowd in doing wrong. Do you see any of that in fellow Christians that you know, especially your own family? If the sinners entice you, don't go along with them. Do you see any people being enticed into things that they know are destructive to their marriages and their families and still they pursue after it? 
Proverbs 2, 6, For the Lord God gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. <laughs> There's the voice to listen to. Jesus, John 10, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Are you learning to discern the voice of God? When Brother Bert is singing or leading us in song, are you hearing something in your ears, in your heart, in your mind, where the Spirit of God is saying, that's true, hold on to that. That's real, let that penetrate your heart. Very quickly, while I was in Fargo, if you were here a couple of years ago, I think I might have told you this story. One of our elders was a sheep geneticist, a, a PhD in sheep genetics at North Dakota State University. And he had a little sheep farm. And he said to me, Pastor Doug, I bet John chapter 10 is one of your favorite chapters. And Jesus talking about sheep and he's the good shepherd. Oh, yes, it is. He said, have you ever seen it with your eyes? No, come out to my farm. You'll see it. So I went out to his farm, and we're having coffee in his little kitchen, and I'm looking out at the little corral that's out there, closer than from here to the back of this room, and we could see the sheep, 20 or 30 of them in there, and he says, now, we're going to go out there. As soon as I open this door, it's got a squeak in it. Watch what happens, and then follow me closely. Walk right behind me. Don't make a sound. Okay. He opened the door. They all come rushing to the fence. They could hear the little squeak, and they knew what it meant. Papa's coming. <laughs> so I walked right behind him, and he's talking as he's walking, and they're right up against the fence. Their little ears are up, and their little tiny tails are wagging. He says, okay, now step out from behind me so they can see you, but don't say anything. So I stepped out from behind me. Their eyes got big. They started backing up a little. He says, now start talking. Say anything you want to say. So I started talking. It wasn't the words that I said, and I wasn't screaming. I was just speaking. They didn't recognize the voice. And so naturally, they backed away. He says, now, step back behind me and don't say anything, and we'll keep walking. And so I did, and he started talking. They came right up, and he got up close, and he started touching them all. He said, if I was to open the gate, what do you think they'd do? I said, it probably would depend on what I did. He said, you're exactly right. If you stayed right behind me and they didn't see or hear you, they'd come right up to me and they'd all be nuzzling up against me. They want to get close to the shepherd. But if you said anything, they'd run. Jesus said in John 10, they don't recognize the voice other than their shepherd. And so they only listen to the voice of the shepherd. Are we teaching our kids and our grandkids how to discern the voice of the shepherd in all the noise? And then, of course, the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus said, you see it there, the Holy Spirit will lead you. He'll teach you. He'll remind you of all the things that I've said. How are we helping our kids in the noise? If we tell them, just turn off the noise, probably you'll hear, Grandma, Grandpa, I'll go crazy. I, I don't know what to do with silence. Yep. God wants you to learn what to do with silence, listening to him, right? Because the noise drowns out the voice of God. Do you agree with that? I have a song. <laughs> now, last night, I, wasn't that a wonderful song? 
It was a beautiful uh, a cappella, wonderful song. We're going to have a variety. Of this one is a little jumpy. Uh, if you had a seatbelt, you might want to have to put it on, but it's okay. But here's what's powerful about this song. It answers the question, who am I? It's a song that celebrates I'm a new creation in Christ. And in the middle of the song, there's this phrase that's repeated about ten times. I know that drives us crazy, doesn't it? When songs just keep repeating a verse. Okay, you said it four times, that's enough. Get on to it. That's why we love the hymns, Brother Bert. Every... This one, though, here's what the phrase says. You ready? I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Who's the I am? You remember? When Moses is meeting with God uh, up on Mount Sinai in, in Exodus chapter 3, and God says, now I'm sending you back to the people, and you're going to lead them out. And Moses says, wait a minute. When I go back and I tell them I met with God, they're going to laugh. And they're going to ask me, oh yeah, what's his name? What should I tell him? He said, you tell him that you met with Yahweh. I am. I am more than you'll ever need. I'm more than you'll ever understand. I'm an unlimited almighty God. So in the middle of this song, I am who I am, not because social media, not because Facebook, not be because the I am tells me who I am. If we could teach that to our kids and our grandkids, God defines who you are. God guides you. You ready? Okay, brother. Whoa.
thank you, that that song and the young people that we saw is powerful truth all across our nation and around the world in a generation where way too many kids have grown up in broken homes, abusive homes, alcoholic homes, drug-infested homes, but they have found Jesus to be their rescuer. And their names are now written down in glory along with ours. And we praise you, Jesus, for the deliverance work, the deliverance work that you're doing today all around our world. In people of all ages, in all situations, the blood of Jesus is still breaking the shackles, and we thank you. We thank you, Almighty God, that you are the one who desires that we exist, and you designed us. You have redeemed us. You're working your glorious, wonderful reclamation work in us. We thank you for these days that we have to be apart from all the noise and be with you. Just thank him right now, friends, for what he's doing in your life and your family. We praise you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.